If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. Oh, Visage. Oh, Sad Square Studio. All I needed was an excuse to talk about this, and you delivered. In the eleventh hour, salvation came to me, and now I say unto you, get thy tinfoil hats ready, fam. Because we're going full in on Visage today. We're going hard on LSD experiments, government surveillance, links to real-world covert operations, cover-ups, and purgatory allegory. Now, Visage is kind of odd in its storytelling. You can play through the game, paying no mind to hints and secrets, just going from A to B, and you'll get a story quite similar to what was covered in Part 1. It's kind of a neat two-for-one deal. The foundations laid for some of our characters are covered in this video, so go check it out before continuing. And keep in mind, these are interpretations of storytelling. I'm not an explanation channel. If you have more ideas to add or want to take something from me and run with it in a new direction, please, please do, and I would love to hear your thoughts about it. But as always, keep it respectful. Now, do you have your tinfoil hat ready to go? Make sure it's on nice and snug. When this image first came to me, I thought, hmm, that's strange. That seems pretty deliberate. Well, of course it was. This image for the chemical composition of LSD was held within a secret location on a VHS tape belonging to the character we're playing, Dwayne Anderson. VHS tapes came to America in 1977. The computers in the hidden area can arguably be placed to about the mid-1980s. Dwayne's time in the story takes place in 1985. So, Dwayne, what were you doing before you ended up in this house? As we talked about in the first video, the game opens up with a family annihilation taking place. Dwayne is murdering his wife and two children, then turns the weapon on himself. Dwayne is dead as the events unfold, caught in an in-between prison of purgatory. Dwayne is directly involved with and partially responsible for the fates of the residents of this house. That's why he's here, to suffer for the things he was complicit in. Now, before we go any farther, I want to put this out there. There's no explicit naming of MKUltra or the CIA within the game, at least not that I uncovered. There are parallels to operations and methods, but that's all it really is, parallels. The game takes place in Oregon, with a zip code from Spain. So in regards to the parallels between Visage and MKUltra, remember Operation Midnight Climax, where men were lured by prostitutes to rooms, bugged with cameras and two-way mirrors. They were drugged and observed without consent. Remember the surprise LSD interrogations, where CIA operatives were given surprise doses of acid and LSD and then subjected to observation and interrogation, again without consent. There are over 140 sub-projects to MKUltra, and it was officially sanctioned for 20 years. So let's revisit 1961 and the story of Lucy. In the 1950s and 60s, autism, childhood schizophrenia, and childhood psychosis were interchangeable terms. We know now that that's very much not the case, of course. To understand Lucy's story, Let's talk about a man named James Whitey Bulger, an Irish-American crime boss who found himself in prison and participating in MKUltra mind control experiments with LSD under the guise of helping with the study and treatment of schizophrenia. Bulger said, in minutes, the drug would take over, and about eight or nine men, Dr. Pfeiffer and several men in suits who were not doctors, would give us tests to see how we reacted. 
Eight convicts in a panic and paranoid state. Total loss of appetite. Hallucinating. The room would change shape. Hours of paranoia and feeling violent. We experienced horrible periods of living nightmares and even blood coming out from the walls. Guys turning to skeletons in front of me. I saw a camera change into the head of a dog. I felt like I was going insane. After moving into the house, this is what begins to happen to Lucy. She hallucinates that something in the TV and radio are talking to her. A baby-faced demon appears, forcing her to do things she doesn't want to do. She kills her pet bird, to the absolute horror of her parents. Psychology Today says of animal abusers ages 6 to 12, this is a child who intellectually understands that it is not okay to hurt animals. This behavior is not due to a lack of education. Instead, the animal abuse is more likely to be a symptom of a deeper psychological problem. Lucy is taken to see a professional. Her parents are given syringes of medication from new doctors. They're told that Lucy's life could be in danger and that they must do this to save her. Dosing her made her worse. She starts to have several imaginary friends. She behaves erratically and takes her own life in the presence of the baby-faced demon. In fact, this is a theme amongst our primary three victims. A psychological disturbance pulls them into medical care. Then they worsen with treatment. Lucy and her family are being observed and surveilled as all this happens. The intimate conversations between husband and wife in regards to Lucy's health are known to Duane. The mannerisms of Lucy as she falls deeper into treatment are known to Duane. The consequences of it all, her horrible death, are known to Duane. Now on to Dolores in 1962. This story is much the same, though we get further clarification on her ailments from her husband, George. I fear that Dolores is getting worse by the day. Her temperaments are extremely bipolar. She gets easily upset over small things, almost always immediately followed by self-resentment and the asking for forgiveness. It's getting harder to cope with her outbursts, but my love for her is strong still and I'll do whatever it takes to help her overcome her condition. Oh, no. I'm gonna be late for tea. Where did I put that damned attic hook? Dolores now has moments of severe psychosis. She loses contact with reality for long periods of time. She hardly remembers me anymore. She's lost her trust in me and it's becoming harder and harder to administer her treatments. She sometimes forgets where she is or even the fact that she has to wear clothes. She keeps on scratching her nails or banging her head on doors. She murmurs gibberish sentences and roams aimlessly around the house. The other day she even accused me of trying to poison her. I'm on the edge. I don't think I can take much more of this. How am I supposed to work, take care of the baby, and deal with her dementia all at the same time? fear for the baby. She has become obsessed with him. She says she can always hear him cry over the baby monitor, even when it's off. She has trouble differentiating him from the dolls in the house. Once she threw a doll away, realizing it wasn't the baby. I am horrified at the idea that she might do the same to the baby, thinking she's holding a doll. I've got rid of all the dolls in the house, 
and now she keeps on calling him, never remembering where he is. I have to keep a constant eye on both of them. The only time I can get some work done is when she's sedated. It feels like a nightmare. Dolores' symptoms are aggravating. Doctors tell me it's become very hard to pinpoint the exact disorder. They tell me she's got symptoms of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, psychosis, dementia, and more. She often hears her own voice whispering a sequence of five numbers through the baby monitor. She said it's the key to her inner house. What does that even mean? What am I supposed to do? At first, I speculated that George himself may have been involved in Dolores' drugging and deteriorating condition, but after further review, that doesn't really seem to be the case. George was truly worried over Dolores and wanted to help her. He loved her. He tried to get her help, but again, this supposed treatment just made her worse over time. In regards to the effects of psychedelic drugs from mentalhealth.net, these drugs can induce temporary effects that mimic psychosis. However, these symptoms typically cease when the drug wears off. For most people, psychotic symptoms will not be present after first use. It's only after repeated use that psychotic symptoms become more prevalent and long-lasting. She starts out getting upset over little things, feeling regret for her emotions immediately after, and requesting forgiveness. They're outbursts. George gives her treatments at home, but hold on now. Lucy entered treatment due to the killing of her pet bird, so what caused Dolores to enter treatment? Well. A couple things. Uh, George and Dolores are an older couple, yet they enter the home with a baby. Postpartum depression affects 10 to 20% of new mothers, so this could be the trigger for her initiation into the experiment, though possibly more likely is just that entering the home, being residents under surveillance, revealed Dolores to be a good candidate for LSD dosing. Perhaps a combination of the two. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I developed a bit of a love-hate relationship with Dolores during her chapter. Her appearances throughout the house actually gave me a couple shocks, and I don't really feel fear during video games. I came to respect Dolores. Piecing it together as cleanly as possible would be outstanding. Count me in the Dolores fan club. I love you, bitch. Now, Raken, in 1970, I was a bit baffled by this chapter. It felt disconnected, off-pace, and I was a bit taken aback at how Raken's mental health was approached, but I was wrong. Once approaching it from the LSD government conspiracy idea, it made a great deal more sense. Raken is very important to the story and to Duane. Meeting Raken in his home, he's going on about being watched. He's dealing with paranoia and scopophobia. He seems to be completely off his rocker, but he's not wrong. Raken is being surveilled, of course. He yells at things in his home, but what if there are actually people in his home tormenting and taunting him to see how he reacts? He's a single male in a large home, and almost a decade has passed since Lucy's story. 
there's an escalation against Reagan, a more involved drugging and stalking process, which becomes the downfall of those running the experiment. After Reagan discharges his weapon at a shadowy figure in his home, his neighbor Rose calls the police. She's observed him acting erratically in his home. Reagan told the police that someone broke into his home, though the police found no evidence of any break-in. This implies that outside forces interacting with the house have easy access to it. When doctors speak with Reagan, he's suspicious of them, refusing to answer most of their questions and accusing them of being a part of a ploy against him. One of his doctors, Dr. Walter Smith, is familiar with Reagan's diagnosis of scopophobia, and when his erratic behavior is mentioned at a debriefing, he's curious as to what Reagan was searching for in his home. Reagan is put under psychiatric watch, but is released when he is clearly not of sound mind. Now, originally I thought Reagan died in the hospital after he burrowed out of his room, but this is not really the case. Reagan does make it back to the house. Reagan dies in the basement. He's locked in by a shadowy figure in a suit. And when he is locked in, Dwayne watches from the other side of a two-way mirror. Reagan's escapades in the hospital, his insistence of a conspiracy, his interactions with personnel at the hospital and involvement with the police would be a major concern in the continuation of the LSD experiments. Their cover was almost blown. After Reagan, no other experiments take place in the house. MK Ultra officially ended in 1973, three years after the fictional events of Reagan. Now, Dwayne, oh, this nut is tough to crack. Speaking with the plague-masked figure inside a television hidden in a secret location of a VHS tape, we learn that Dwayne has spent years self-medicating with alcohol. Eventually, he escalates to a cocktail of drugs, one of which being a prescription for loracidone, an antipsychotic used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar depression. Another is chlorpromazine, another antipsychotic used to treat schizophrenia and manic depression, a prescription from a Dr. Andrew Smith. In one of Duane's VHS tape secrets, his wife Claire confronts him about this after she finds a prescription bottle. She asks what he's running away from that he feels the need to drink heavily and medicate himself. The plague-masked being from the television, which is anatomically male, confronts Duane here with the voice of Claire. She says she only married him because of his money, even though it was probably blood money. She doesn't care. This figure passes around to the visage of his family, taunting him with memories of past victims. Want me to rip your jaw off? Want me to stab you with seven knives? Want me to get the rope to hang yourself? How about I break your legs and leave you in the cellar? Lucy, George, Dolores, and Reagan. 24 years since Lucy died, 23 years since Dolores and George, and 15 years since Reagan. Dwayne went on to have a family, but he never escaped from what he was a part of. It caught up with him eventually. For 15 years, he built a life. But in 1985, he returned to that house with his family. And from there begins the events of the game. Now, there are two loose ends that we have here, which may be characters expanded on in the future. But I would love to know your thoughts on them. That's the neighbor Rose and this guy, Lewis Taylor. Taylor especially really bothered me as I researched my footage this week. He seems to be an important part of the story around 1965. 
and at a water treatment plant, but I couldn't quite piece it together. And in regards to the neighbor Rose, besides her obvious absolute shift into an ominous antagonist at the end of the comic book page collection, note that she seems to be holding a glass of water in each era. That also seems intentional. Even in the final year, she's still going in for that sweet hydration. How do you think these two characters link into this tale?